I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You sound a little under the weather there. I'm a little under the weather. I have a, it's a, it's giving me a um, smoky, gravelly kind it of uh, broadcaster yeah. voice, though, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> it really does. It's, it's, it's very. You sound very like. Chicago from the 1950s, you know, yeah. like that kind of just, just like, uh, you know, like a little gruff and a little kind of like I've Love seen it. things, right? <laughs> I like really I've like been around, it. I've seen things You've that I can around. report to you. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's one of those, that's one of those voices that, oh, you don't even want to know what that guy. Was yeah. That guy, when... that guy, I, I don't trust him, but I'm captivated <laughs> by him. That's what I'm going for. I, I hear he killed a man. That's basically <laughs> what that feels like. That's so right. yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, I think we should say right up front to the uh, to our uh, devoted uh, podcast listeners that uh, uh, you are about to go sort of into like your real life and real jobs. So, uh, so this is probably going to be. We're hoping to squeeze you in. What I'm going to plan on doing is I'm going to keep the podcast going uh, until uh, until you you know, can, can return from, from those crazy work things that you do. Right. Uh, and maybe every now and again, you'd be able to check in, but this is probably the last sort of regular appearance uh, for, for Mike Shore for, yes, for a little I will while. Be, I will be going into podcast hibernation for <laughs> some amount of time, but without saying what it is, I can also say that we have some very exciting special podcast plans for way oh, down the line in 2019 very exciting this yeah is very, like there's very some exciting. things that are that are milling around and circulating and some emails that are going around and it's going to be a while because i have to go make season four of the good place <laughs> but we have a, we have one actively being discussed plan that would be super fun uh for way down the line in september there's other plans that have been talked about for various uh on location trips and special yes. guests and things so uh yes i i this is going to be my last podcast appearance for some time not sure how long but but if you're into the podcast <laughs> and and i when we still don't know how that's possible but if you're into it 2019 could be a big fun year a big big fun year it's true and 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 because of the way we're working this out i am going to keep doing this with special guests uh in the meantime and if you can ever break away you will that's how that works that's right, right. It's, and it's yeah. also my understanding i don't know where i heard this but that you have a book on houdini coming out is that true i don't know it where is, somebody yes, told me that i don't remember you know it's something i've been trying to keep kind of quiet right and, you know but because you know you, you don't want to you don't want to be out there just self-promoting Ooh, i've got a book on houdini like every five seconds no nobody uh, likes that <laughs> nobody likes that but yes thank you for mentioning it because it is october 22nd we now uh, have a final date we have a, a title we are very close to having a cover we i mean it's like becoming like a real thing and uh i'm super duper excited so yeah yet yet another cool element of the podcast uh that will be uh 
that will be part of 2019. So this is going to be a great year. So uh, we have to finish off sort of our, and you know, it's it's like the golf season. It's like we're finishing off the the you know, like the golf season goes on like after the last major, but nobody cares, right? They just keep playing, and nobody cares until the Masters comes around again the next year. So that's sort of what this is like. The podcast right. will go on, but nobody will care without you. I, I just want to say that. <laughs> See, I don't think that's true. I think that the, I think the podcast is bigger than any of us, including well, that is true, including you. <laughs> that that is true it's bigger than any of us for sure all right we've got uh, a couple of awesome things to talk about today because th- th- this is if we if we didn't have one scheduled we would do an emergency podcast anyway because uh, the hall of fame uh announcement is tomorrow so we're gonna go through the entire ballot for you like we always do but first what the heck was that football sun that was the craziest weirdest most infuriating football sunday i can remember although they're all like that they're like that every weekend yeah i don't know what i don't know how to feel i really don't like i every time i think i sort of have an angle on the nfl something happens to to upend my belief system and what i was thinking about yesterday was like okay it's a game of just brute force and and it's not a subtle game right it's like no. baseball is a subtle game <laughs> yes and football is is an unsubtle game and all of the things that we complain about especially on this podcast things like the the crude nature of the measuring system yes. and yes. the kind of just like just the kind of like well that's you know a guy goes into a scrum of of 18 dudes and then, a, and then the the line judge comes running out from the sideline and very definitively puts his foot down in the place where he has determined Precisely. that the ball was when the guy's knee hit the ground. Neither of which he could see in the moment it happened. Like all of that stuff, I what I had what had happened is I had come around to this feeling of like that just is the game. And right. buying into the NFL means buying into that system. You are not buying into. You're you're not. Um, you're not going to get a good, accurate, actually precise game. That's not what it is. It, it's a game it of just crushing physical n- insanity and and crude measurement. And so it's sort of like buyer beware. If you are a fan of this sport, you are just going to live and die by that sword, right? And yes. then we went through this period where every single play of of either game for a while was – stopped and reviewed and looked at and and actually attempted to be dealt with in a precise laser width one hair of it did one finger what did one atom of one fingernail of julian edelman's thumb touch the ball right and they looked at it for a hundred hours and then then there was the the hogan catch and then the second hogan catch and one of them seemed to have been secured and the other wasn't secured and to, to my mind also by the way as I was watching those things, they were getting the calls right. The, with the weird, and, like, laser precision by the letter of the law, it, 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 you can, right. it seemed like they were getting the calls right. I don't think Edelman touched the ball on the punt. I think that one of the Hogan catches, he had secured the ball before it hit the ground. I think on the other one, he didn't secure the ball before it hit the ground. They called the first one a catch. They called the second one not a catch. So then you're like, okay, well – in a game of brute force and crude measurement, they have instigated this system that allows you to measure the things as well as you can measure them on these key big plays late in the game. Like 
they are attempting to kind of get it right, which, as you know, you're not quite a proponent of. I am a proponent of it. And so I was sort of watching that game thinking, look, this is infuriating because the flow of the game is being disrupted and 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 we can't settle into a rhythm. And some of the drama is being kind of removed by the fact that they're taking this game of brute force and crude measurement and trying to actually measure things. However, then retroactively, obviously, <laughs> I'm saying then, not temporally, you go back to the the New Orleans Rams game. And in a play that absolutely 100% would have decided the game, yes. without question, the game would have been over. Yes. A guy just plows into a receiver <laughs> in the most obvious way possible. Helmet to helmet, by the way. He helmet does to it, helmet. Oh, he yeah. does. He not only plows into the guy, he plows into the guy where in a way that two different fouls should have been called. Yes. And there's no recourse. And so now you're in a position where you're saying, okay, it's a game of brute force and crude measurement. <laughs> We have attempted to change that fact by allowing for the disruption of the game, even at key moments, especially key moments, with an attempt to more accurately and finely, in a finely more finely tuned way, measure what's happening. But also, sometimes a guy just <laughs> runs over a guy, and no one has anything they can do. That is what is that's the infuriating thing to me is that they've they've made these rule changes over the years. They've instituted replay in different scenarios, and they have tried to say in a game of crude measurement and brute force, we are going to try to get the calls right. But there are plays like that where they happen. They're obvious to everyone in the stadium watching yep. at home, hundreds of millions of people, billions, trillions of people all over the <laughs> galaxy see the same thing, except for somehow the five guys who really need to see it. And there's nothing that can be done. And I tweeted this and, and then deliberately did not look at the mentions. You can hate on Bill Belichick all you want. And, and and you do want <laughs> you, yes. oh, you de yes. definitely wanted to yes. hate him and i get it but many years ago in the off season he proposed coaches and and gms anybody can propose rule changes to the league he proposed a rule change and the rule change was very simple every play is reviewable you still get two challenges right it's not like you have 100 challenges you still have two right. challenges and it's still the same system by which you can challenge things but every play is reviewable just make every play reviewable and and the Saints and their fans right now would be way better off if that were the case. If you just said, look, that's a blatant PI call that was missed. It, it absolutely has determined the outcome of the game because they would have just knelt on the ball three times and they kicked a 25-yard field goal and the game would have been over. And instead, the Rams got the ball. They went down. They kicked the field goal. They won in overtime. And I... It's just like if you're going to try to get it right, if you're going to give up on the idea that this is a game of crude measurement and and brute force and you're going to try to get the calls right, you got to get them all right or else there's zero consistency to what's going on. Well, yes. I mean, I think I think what you're saying is 100% right. Of course, as you know, my solution is very different from yours. I just don't think you can get it right. I don't think the game is built. I think the, the crude force... If, if people would accept that, the game would be, in my view, so much better. I mean, I mean, look, it can't be more popular. It can't be whatever. I mean, so people love what, they, what they're seeing. But this idea that you're trying – it's like trying to measure, like, you know, with stones or something. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, you're, you're going to get a general idea, but you can't get – there is a penalty on every single play. Yeah. There is, there is, there was not a single, the only time that there's not a penalty on a defensive back 
on for pass interference or holding is when the receiver gets so open he can't reach him. Otherwise, he's in his face all the time, and it's always past five yards down the field. There was always some sort of illegal contact, holding, or pass interference on every single play. So they so they're using some sort of weird judgment, which is like, all right, you know, you got to let him play. And and did you know it, would that have been a catch had it not been for the pass interference and this, that, and the other? And you're allowing them to use these bizarre judgments, which is, in my view, exactly how you miss the worst pass interference you could possibly have. You can't, it is impossible to have worse. Every, everything they've told us for the last 20 years about what pass interference is, not looking at the ball, not turning back, helmet to helmet, knocking the guy out of the way before the ball gets there. Every, he did everything. It's like, it's a, it's a 100 out of 100 pass interference and nobody threw the flag. And so you're just like, well, this is stupid. And then, you're right, but but the Julian Edelman play drove me insane for a whole other reason. I think in the end, they got it right. I think in the end, the ball probably did not touch him. It was weird because from different angles, it looked like it might have, and then you would show a different angle, and it looked like it wasn't even close to touching him. Yeah. Like, right? Like, there was that one angle that looked like, oh, it might have hit his right hand, and then you saw the the angle from the other side, and it was like, Oh, that that wasn't within like six inches of his right hand. Yeah, you know? I mean, there was, I it was thought it had hit his arm, and then the su- sort of side angle was like, oh no, I missed it by eight inches or something. It wasn't <laughs> yeah, was even close. Say, yeah, it wasn't even close. So all of that's fine, and they got the call right, and whatever. And you know, however, man, Julian Edelman was pretty cocky for a guy who tried to touch the ball. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. You know, he's over there like, oh my gosh, you didn't touch. Oh man, I wasn't even close to touch. And I'm like. Dude, you tried to you might have gotten lucky that the ball missed your finger by an inch, but you tried to touch the ball. I mean, there's no question what your what your effort was there. And so now we got, we're going to save him because we can look at it from 7000 angles and cut the game off for 10 minutes while we're watching to see if that it's to me it's so anti what what I think football should be, which is this emotional mess which is everything is, is involved in timing. It's nothing is so precise that it should be, you know, the ball is not shaped even in the right way for it to, for us to get like precise measurements, the way that everybody's going for. So, so I hate it. I really, really hated the way they stopped the game a million times. I hated uh, that whole thing. You know, my replay uh, solution that I came up with that people hate Uh, But it's the solution I truly believe would at least, you know, get rid of some of this. We'd be arguing, we'd be fighting about different things if we went with my solution. And my solution is there's still replay. You can still challenge, but you have to watch it in, in, in fast motion. You have to watch it in full speed. And if at full speed, you say like, oh, he missed the call. He missed the call. If at full speed, you're like, "Mm, I'm not sure call stays the way that it's on the field. And I know then what would happen is television would slow everything down and, and people would be like, but really technically he missed it and whatever. But I, I just think this is ludicrous. And I think the most ludicrous element of all is, is what we've seen over the last 15 years with the catch. It doesn't even matter how much you slow it down. People are going to still argue whether he caught the ball. It literally doesn't matter how many angles you get. It doesn't matter how, how you know, it's people are going to still argue about it because it is not this precise. 
thing. It's and I I really it really bugs me that we're trying to treat football like it's some sort of laboratory experiment. There are some that there are just not any right or wrong answers. It's just like just make the best call you can. Spot the ball as close to the spot as you possibly can. If if it's badly missed, show it on replay. But other than that, this idea of whether or not it's an inch, a centimeter, a millimeter, I, I hate it. I really hate it. It's like it's like a it's like one big long appeals process, and and there's nothing fun to me about that. It's not great. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not great. <laughs> I, I I would say this though. There are a couple ways that they could even take the current system and improve it, I think. Sure. One of them oh, being, sure. why does the ref on the field need to get involved in this at all? Why does the freezing cold ref need to and make an announcement, <laughs> jog over, look at a monitor with his like watery, freezing cold eyes? So true. And so you know true. what I mean? They are they're going back to New York anyway, right? There's a there's a head there's a replay official in New York that has access in a, in a temperature-controlled room with high-definition screens, just announce that they're challenging it, and immediately those guys jump on the case and radio it in. Why are we doing this? Part of the, I'd say half of the slowdown is the announcement and then the huddle, the huddle and then the announcement and the discussion with the coach and then the going over and watching it and then the calculation where the guy, the ref, has to figure out what the time on the clock is. This could all be done five times as fast by people in a temperature controlled room in on, on Madison Avenue in New York. And I, I really, and so the, the best look, the best replay system in sports is the Hawkeye system in tennis, right? I yes. think we can all agree. Yeah. There's a shot, a guy holds up his hand. He just literally waves his finger in the hand in the air. One of the players does. Right. There's a, about a four second delay. And then on the monitor, an incredibly <laughs> calm, like realistic looking, like you just implicitly trust it animation of what happened occurs and there's an immediate judgment and the game barely slows down at all. It's maybe like five seconds more. Oh yeah. And it's the, actually kind of, it's actually kind of fun, right? Cause the yeah, audience starts cool. clapping. There's a little that. clapping. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so like that, I, you know, football can't get to that, but no. football's goal right now should not be to change and parse the wording of the catch rule in order to better define what it catches. Football's main goal should be to expedite the system by which this game of brute force is adjudicated in these crucial moments and to make it as as fast and as kind of um, accurate as possible. And part of that, I think, is taking it out of the hands of the exhausted and freezing cold refs on the field and moving it off campus and it would it would happen so much more quickly and so much better, I think. Well, that's right. And look, there's another element to this thing, and it's not specific to replay, but it is specific to the officiating of the game. How in the world is the NFL, which look, let's let's give the NFL credit. They were front and center on replay. I mean, now it's now it's taken over all of sports, but they really were there first. And they have really, you know, I mean, as as much as I don't like it. Uh, it has changed the game. It is, it is, um, it is technologically amazing. And the whole game is technological, right? Quarterbacks are listening to their offensive coordinators and their helmets and this and that and the other. How in the world after 25 years of this, is there not a referee in the booth that is just watching the game on television? How yeah. is that not even possible right. that those guys are not, to, and maybe it's only the umpire or, or whoever, the head ref or whatever it is, is, is wearing the earpiece. I mean, maybe they're all wearing it. doesn't matter. How is that guy not just going, oh yeah, pass interference. You know, just, just, I, it's yeah. on television. I just had the better angle than any of you guys. Here's had. the crazy, here's the crazy thing. Here's the even crazier thing. 
There is. His name is Mike Pereira, and he's standing immediately <laughs> to Tony Romo's yes, yes, right. Yes. And he is saying those things. It just isn't part of the game. They they removed a ref from the active gameplay and put him in the commentary position, which is insane. (laughs) How are you not using that guy to make the judgment? How is he not an actively paid referee who's making the crucial judgments in these crucial moments? It's bizarre. Well, that's right. Gene Steratore, first of all, he he talked more. I I tweeted out. He talked more than Jim Nance during that game. And, and, Here's the thing about those guys, and and this with with a rare exception that we we won't even mention. If you give these look, these guys are good at what they do. You know, it's impossible to do their jobs. Their jobs are literally impossible. They're they they have to watch so many things. They can't catch everything, whatever. But if you give a trained, skilled referee like a Gene Serator or a Pereira or whoever it is a replay. They know instantly what the right call is. Right. They know. Like, I mean, Gene Steratore, like, did not miss a call. Right. And he did it in, like, two seconds. Right. He's like, he watched it and went, oh, yeah, that didn't touch him. That's it. Right. Like, he, you know, he just did. So why these guys aren't live with the refs, I don't know. And honestly, that fixes the New Orleans play. And by the way, here's here's something to all of those uh, uh, Rams fans, because I've heard from a bunch of them. And it's fine. Look, you're going to the Super Bowl. You played great. Love your team. Totally rooting for them in the Super Bowl, obviously. Um, all of that. But they're telling me like, well, you know, they missed a they missed a, a face mask penalty a little earlier against Goff. So, you know, you can't blame it on the re- – no, that's not the point. The point is not that referees miss calls. We know that. They miss calls on every play. The point is they didn't make the most obvious possible call – in the moment that would have cost the Rams the game. That's what matters here. It's not, it's not, a, they, they, as far as I know, the referees might've, might've made more like beneficial calls for the saints throughout the game. That's not relevant. That happens every NFL game. Right. Every and, NFL and, game. and on average, you're going to say that missed calls on holding or PI or defensive illegal contact or hands to the face or all of the dumb rules that they've instituted. <laughs> Are going to roughly be equal. I mean, there right. were there were a couple. Brady tried a couple shots to Gronk, one down the right side of the field. Yes, at some point in the fourth quarter, and they showed the replay, and the guy was just mauling him the entire way down, just pawing at him and grabbing him and holding him, grabbed his shoulder and interfered with him. And they don't come close to calling it. And then that guy, the poor guy uh, Jackson, the Patriots <laughs> defensive back, was called for like. He he accidentally breathed on the on his receiver twice, and they called it. And it, and it's like, look, you look at those replays, and you're like, yeah, you can call that on Jackson. That technically, yes, that's holding or that's, that's right. PI. Yes, of course it is. But it's also PI on like eleven other people. Well, that's right on it's, both it's- sides. So it's like you're right. It's it's look. Here's here was here's the last thing I'll say about this. In 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 light of what you just said, and and Belichick's rule proposal to make every play reviewable. If you make every play reviewable, it is a little bit of a can of worms. I get it. Why not say, hey, in the last two minutes, um, PI or defensive penalties are, are, or offensive penalties are reviewable. Every play is reviewable in the last two minutes because those high leverage plays, look, if every coach knows, well, not every coach, uh, who, is the guy who, who is the guy who took over as an interim coach of some team this year and was out of challenges like three minutes into a game? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Whatever. Yeah. I can't remember who it was, but it was very funny. Um, So every coach knows, for the most part, that 
if there's a marginal call on a second and seven when you think your receiver caught the ball and they ruled that he didn't catch the ball and it's four minutes into the first quarter, just let it go. Right. That it's not worth the challenge, right? Because the the it's not a high leverage situation. It's a very low leverage situation when it's four minutes in the first quarter. So you don't use your challenge there. And so I think that the same could be said of theoretically making all plays reviewable. If you make them all reviewable only in the most high leverage moments, you will at least, you would say, avoid embarrassments like to the league, like what just happened, where for the rest of time, that's going to be, that is one of those plays now that an entire fan base it, it will never get over it, and nor, nor should they. And 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 the entire league looked really dumb. The oh, league no. looked really dumb for and and will for a very long time. It's like the fail Mary play when they had the replacement refs or whatever. All there's these plays that live in infamy because they're so dumb. And if you instituted a rule that said in the last two minutes every play is reviewable, you would fix some of those really really embarrassing plays. I think so. Look, there's there <coughs> obviously there are questions on all fronts, right? Because you you if I mean if you if every play is reviewable, I mean what? So you're going to look for holding on every single play? You're going to look for whatever? I mean, I it, it's I the whole thing is 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 sketchy because again, we're trying to get uh, perfection out of a sport that is that is just not perfect. A sport that is just very messy and very you know people are bending, breaking rules on every single play. And you know, look, the, 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 you talked about the the pass interference uh, play against the Patriots. That's right. I mean, it's totally right. So if you're a Patriots fan and you lose that game, if you lose that game, you start complaining about that call. If you're a Chiefs fan and you lose that game, you complain about the the phantom uh, rough in the passer call. I mean, it's like you there's always if you lose a close game in the NFL, you always have a referee to blame for it. Yes, that's that's 100 percent. There's never been a, except for like blowout losses by right. 21 or more points. You can always, always, always say that you got jobbed on the calls. Always. Yes. Yeah, it's and it's part of that. It's part of the sport. And you either embrace that or you don't. The, the thing that made the Saints thing so spectacularly awful was, again, and especially, you know, and, and sometimes you're just unlucky if you're the league or lucky, depending on what it is, on what the camera angle is. And, of course, that was a championship game, so you had 5,000 camera angles. But that one camera angle from the sideline where you see the ball coming, like, right at you, and then you see yeah. the defensive back just smash in the Not guy. looking, not looking at all, <laughs> running at full speed, cracking his head into the head of the receiver and knocking him literally into next week, like, just fly, <laughs> helicoptering, flying as the ball just falls harmlessly to the ground. I mean, that that really is the problem here, is that that moment in the second most important game of the season yeah. for the league, at that crucial time with that score in that stadium – with that franchise and that quarterback and all that, all the storylines for it to be so blatant, it just, they have to figure out a way to stop that from happening. Maybe you only do, maybe look, what if you say um, you cannot protest non calls, right? Yeah. You you can't, can, so you can, you're saying you review, but, then, you, but that was a non call that, that pass interference. Oh, right. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's tricky. Yeah, right. It's tricky. And again, I really think that particular one, but again, it's always dangerous to start coming up with like solutions that only work for the problems that you've already faced or whatever. Right. But that particular solution is easy because that's, you have a man in the booth, 
that there's no possibility that the guy in the booth wouldn't see it live and go, Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. That might be, that might pass interference. Right. See one replay and go, Oh yeah, that's pass interference. And that's it. And then, and then you, and then the flag comes in and everybody boos because it was late, but who cares? Then it's the right call. Right. I mean, th- we're already delaying the game anyway. I, I think a huge, and I really, honestly, this is, this is honest about the way the NFL works. I can't believe they haven't done it already because they do so much from the booth now it's a television game right it's you know everything is they all already they've, they've worked so hard to make the helmets where you can hear the offensive coordinator in your helmet even when it's like 17 you know everybody's going at 500 decibels in the in the in the place or whatever so they've already done all of this work they already know how all this works it it actually kind of stuns me that there's not an official at the booth well i think we've solved it we have. Well, yeah. in fact, let's 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 call uh, let's call podcast commissioner um, Roger and, Goodell. And Roger it, Goodell it's, and- it's lucky that he's also the podcast commissioner. <laughs> All right, I'm going to send him an email. Hopefully, we'll hear from him by the end of the. Hopefully, podcast. we'll hear from him. So excellent. So there's your NFL thing. Okay, so since we're not going to have you, who do you think will win? I'm not going to even ask you. We've we've been through the the hard feelings, the difficult feelings you have about the Patriots. Who do you think will win the Super Bowl? I really don't know. I I I I thought the Patriots had no chance um, in uh, in Kansas City. I really did. I I, I was funny one of I the. I thought Kansas City had no chance. I really <laughs> no, I did. I, and that's honest. And that's being from Kansas City and you know, having lived there my whole uh, childhood. Plus, uh, not my whole childhood, my whole uh, career. Plus, for what some reason, and it's worth mentioning here. For some reason, my oldest daughter, who has never cared at all about sports decided that she is an insane Chiefs fan. She was born in Kansas City, grew up huh. there. Uh, and really, this was the this whole season, she sort of has really kind of gotten into the Chiefs a little bit and, and uh, you know, not hugely, but wants to watch the games with me and that kind of thing. So she was really emotional about yesterday's game. She was, like, very, very excited about it, uh, you know, has already learned about hating the Patriots and all of that sort of thing. Uh, so she was really really into it um and and it was really touching a little bit heartbreaking but mostly touching to watch her like break down in tears at the end of the game i'm laughing about this but honestly that i'm like you know now you know what my entire childhood was like yeah so you know there's something to that plus it was really cool to see her really get into it um but I knew that was going to happen. I mean, I, I like I lived in Kansas City too long. I've watched Belichick too long. I, yeah. I I couldn't believe it when those announcers were talking about like, well, nobody thought the Patriots had it. Who would write off the Patriots? Who who has watched this team play for twenty years and would write them off? It's ludicrous, ludicrous. And by I the know. way. Boy, did he come in and out coach Andy Reid. That yeah. first half was a joke. Yeah. An absolute joke. But then to Andy Reid's credit, like they immediately adjusted and came they out did. and had blew the doors halftime. off. They scored they 31 points in the second half. Like they had a great halftime. They I really I did. um I, I here's the thing. Obviously it's ludicrous to ever write off this team. I just thought that because they were in Kansas City, it, there's a huge difference. You know, the there was a, a lot made about you and I texted about this, about the Patriots hadn't won a road playoff right. game since 2006 but they don't play any road playoff never play so like them. yeah yeah so like and and they were a bad road team this year it wasn't because i was i wasn't being uh uh no you no. know like i wasn't i wasn't like oh the patriots are done the dynasty's over i just thought they were it was a team on the road in a in a very difficult place to play i just sure. thought that that was the reason 
Um, I it is crazy though to think that the think about how many the reason that Tom Brady gets booed, you know, when they bring out the like Hall of Fame people that whenever that was at the Super Bowl, he just allowed <laughs> boos, which was hilarious. If you just it, think about how many individual fan bases he has now done that to. Oh yeah, the, no, the more than anybody. More, I mean, it's it's Kansas City now. He had never really done it to Kansas City, no. at least in in a moment like that. But Kansas City and the the Ravens and the Steelers and the Colts and the Colts and yep. the Seahawks. Yep. And Panthers, uh, the Rams. weirdly, the Panthers, he's, the he's Panthers. just stuck it to them, right. too. <laughs> he did. Uh, and it just just team after team after the Chargers a number of times <laughs> now, like he did it in 2006 to the Chargers. The the thing that the specific thing of um, playing on your home in your home stadium and having him come into your neighborhood and beat you like in that exact way of just oh, like this crazy fourth quarter or overtime the inevitability of that drive the third and 10 the three third and 10 first downs oh my gosh it's just like he really is um he's just a total heartbreaker he's a he's a he is a strangler of dreams and i um i i don't know that we'll ever see in any sport anything like it it's it is it does feel like jordan a little bit except even jordan's jordan's was never the was never like I mean, he just his team just sort of like dismantled you, right? He right. was like, well, I mean, he he certainly had his moments with that jazz shot and all that. But um, first of all, he, I mean, Brady's just been doing it for way, way, way longer than Jordan. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. What it's eight straight AFC Championship games, and how many did we say he's played in AFC Championship games? He's played uh, in eighteen or something. Some, saw, uh, and it's some not abs- that many. It's like fourteen or something. It's yes. Absurd, absurd number is what it is. Um, so, you know, for me, that was John Elway, but John Elway did that very specifically to Cleveland and then a little bit later to Kansas city, but it was, it was pretty specific. Brady's done it across the board. I will say this for, for my daughter, uh, not a, not a football, you know, was asking about some rules while we were talking, but this is the instincts. And I'm I'm proud that she, I think that you got this from me. The second that Tom Brady, and the Patriots won the coin toss in overtime. She's like, oh, it's over. She didn't even know it's the over. rules of overtime, but she was yeah. like, oh, that's it. The game's over. And she was. Totally I, do you right. do you agree when I if I say this, do you agree that if the Chiefs get the ball first, they win? Yeah, I think I think they probably do. Uh, I could see them settling for a field goal is really I, I don't think the Patriots stop them. Um, yeah, but the question I is, just feel like, I feel like both so. teams were exhausted. The oh, Chiefs yeah. had scored thirty-one points in the second half. Yeah. You know that I mean there were what, what how many points were scored in the 38, oh, <laughs> 38 well, points in the fourth quarter? It was like that. I mean, it was like the Thursday night game, right? I remember the yeah. Monday night or Sunday night game, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, neither team could stop. But that's what was that's what made the first half so impressive was the the Patriots came in with this with this crazy blitz up the middle plan. And they totally got in his head. I mean, yeah. and, that, and that kid is a—he's a incredible. He's incredible. But he's going to own the league for the next the ten league. or fifteen he's years. So and it, and I I kind of thought this was going to be the narrative game of the torch being passed or whatever. But it looks like it's, it looks like it's one more year. <laughs> Not yet. By the way, I am picking the Patriots. I think the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl. I don't even know that. I don't necessarily think they're as good as the Rams. When you look at the Rams defensively what they can do and and you know i thought golf really you know shined and and uh and obviously they have Gurley when he's healthy you know is is unstoppable and all that 
I just I'm not betting against the Patriots. I never. Uh, it's hard. Them. Look, it's hard to bet against the Patriots. The one thing I'll say is that the the famous Giants recipe for beating yes. Yes. the Patriots is a thing the Rams do. Right? They that have Indomitian Sue and they have Aaron Donald. They have four guys on their line who can get pressure and drop seven into man coverage with you know safeties over the top. Blah blah blah. So like they do have the exact kind of blueprint defense that, that has beaten the Patriots in the past. That is true. The weather won't be a factor. Well. We shall see. All right. We need to get on to our Hall of Fame ballot here. So here's here's how I think we want to do the Hall of Fame ballot. So uh, I didn't tell you this beforehand, but um, I actually visited uh, the future for this for this segment. Oh. So I actually I actually have you actually list. know who is in. I not only know who's in, I know all of the vote totals. Oh, I've, wow. I've, I've got them all. I know it's really impressive. We are doing this. On Monday, uh, and uh, the the Hall of Fame announcement is tomorrow. We, this will be out before the Hall of Fame announcement comes uh, afterward. But if you listen to this after the Hall of Fame announcement, you will be you, you'll you won't believe that I've gotten all of these vote totals. Wow, that's very exciting. It's exciting. So I'm basically announcing who's what the Hall of Fame is going to be, Great. and uh, and I want to hear what your thoughts are. So first of all, we need to go through the people who did not get a vote. We have to okay. go through the, the zero vote, and and I want. I want your hard feelings about about how the how you feel about these people not getting a vote. Uh, Rick Ann Keel did not get a vote. Sad for him. Uh, what a crazy story. What and, a crazy uh, story. What I, a crazy career. Yeah, like a just a, a, one of the weirdest, saddest stories in baseball, but also weirdly uplifting and hopeful because he clawed his way back. So I wish he had gotten a vote. Do you want to see him come back? Do you want to see him try to come back? No, no. I, I really I don't, don't either. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing nothing about that spells like possibility to me at all. No, correct. Juan Pierre did not get a vote. Juan Pierre, one of the great um, Fire Joe Morgan targets of all time because <laughs> he, he, he you see like 200 hits a year and also lead the league in making outs. Yes. And the number of the old guard used to cite him Love as like the ultimate leadoff hitter. Because he was fast and he got and he had 200 hits or whatever, and we used to point out that he was the literally the worst person in the league at making outs and and uh, scream and yell. So I kind of wish for that in that regard. I wish he'd gotten one Hall of Fame vote. That would have been kind of fun. I kind of believe that Juan Pierre, by the way, uh, is is that transition player. I think I think every like Juan Pierre type player before him, every very fast leadoff guy who hit for a decent average but made a bunch of outs. Every one of those guys, um, or he'd even hit for a good average, frankly. Uh, every one of those guys was considered a super duper star. And and then he came along and everybody was like sort of like, oh, wait a minute, there's some problems here. And every Juan Pierre player after Juan Pierre is like, oh no, I don't want any part of him. Yeah. So yeah. I think think he's the transition. Uh this will shock you. Darren Oliver with zero votes. Darren Oliver um pitched until he was 71 years old. <laughs> And I, he should get credit for that. It's he's, he was the oldest player to ever pitch in the majors by like twenty eight years. Twenty eight years, actually, just like Satchel Page was nothing, you yeah. know, compared to. And he always came in for one out. You had you had to respect the bring in Darren Oliver. In fact, that should just and right now that's you know the 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 term is loogie, right? What is it? Right. Left left handed one out guy. One out guy. Right? It should be the Oliver, don't you think? It should be yes. the, for, in Darren Oliver's honor. What a what a fine player, John Garland with zero votes. He was one of those guys on the uh, on that crazy White Sox team, right? That the terrific um, that two thousand five team where they all threw complete games and and yes. made um, Ozzy Guillen look like a genius because um, they, all, they just he and Bur Burley and 
El Duque. Who is El Duque? Who is the? Oh no, Contreras was, maybe. Wasn't Freddie Garcia on that team? Was Freddie, Freddie Garcia? Garcia yeah, they just all threw complete games and just buzzed through the playoffs <laughs> and won the World Series. And everybody thought Ozzy Guillen was a genius for playing small ball or Ozzy ball, whatever they call it at the time. It didn't work as well ever again, but it worked for one year. One year that thing was that was that team is yeah. still. I don't think that team gets credit enough credit for being this crazy, crazy outlier. It was a crazy fluke. If you go back and look at their bullpen. Um, oh they, they got like, they got like 350 innings of like, of like 1.0 whip relief from these insane, like Cliff <laughs> Polite and these weird guys you never heard from again. Every one of their bullpen guys pitched like Rivera for one year. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah it's, it's absolutely nuts. All right. Uh, bit of a shocker here. Jason Bay with zero votes. Jason Bay, Canadian. Canadian. That's all I have to say. Canadian. That's- also, uh, played for the Red Sox for one year. They did not sign him to a big free agent deal. He signed with the Mets. It was immediately kind of a disaster. So <laughs> it's one of the it's one of the um, better front office decisions that the Red Sox made in that period of time. Yeah, I, I compared. Uh, I said he basically followed the George Foster thing, which is like you don't sign if you're a, if you're a corner outfielder who has had a nice career and you're 32, don't sign with the Mets. Like nothing, nothing yeah. good is going to happen. You're, you're I will. Gonna... I will also say um, same exact. Career OPS plus is Harold Baines for the record. Yeah, not not ideal on the uh, on the Harold Baines front. All right, <laughs> Tra- Travis Hafner with zero votes. Travis Hafner was an amazing hitter for like three years. Three years he was incredible. Was the best right? hitter, like best hitter in the, in potentially in the American League. Yeah, for, and he had a years. giant head. That's all I really remember about him <laughs> is that he was the best hitter in baseball, and his head looked like uh and i'm not this isn't i'm not insinuating anything by the way i'm just saying he had a giant head that's he just, had a giant head that yeah, was just sort of, he was born with that giant head come on he i think so just, too he was just a bucket head uh ted lilly with uh with zero votes ted lilly um it, his it, he, when he would start to wind up he would uh he would be standing on the rubber he would take a step backwards and then the pitch would be delivered 45 seconds later <laughs> Do you remember that? He had the yes, slowest <laughs> windup in the history of the majors. It was so slow. It was excruciating to was watch. Excruciating. And he also didn't throw hard at all. And for a while, he had a couple years where he was really, really good. And it was like, why can't anyone hit this guy? I don't yeah. understand it. He is the ultimate in that crafty lefty. Like, there's no reason for him to be getting anybody out. There's no reason whatsoever. But who, who's the guy now who pitches, I think, for the Rockies? Who throws like eighty four? Who tops out of like eighty four? You know what I'm talking about. He's not old. He's a young guy. I can't remember who it is, but there's a guy who, in the majors, who had a good year this year, who's like young, and he his fastball tops out of like eighty five. It's crazy. That's, That's Ted Lilly. <laughs> that, is, that is Ted Lilly. Ted Lilly, though, I I wrote a little bit about this. Ted Lilly uh, finished top ten in the league in strikeouts uh, per nine innings, like two or three times in his career. And you're like, and of course it was totally different game. It was like 7.3 strikeouts per nine would get you into the top 10 back then. But why, what was happening there? You know, that's, I don't know. it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. All right. Uh, Vernon Wells with zero votes. Vernon Wells uh, in 2003 was the best hitter in baseball bar none. Don't you think? I, yeah. I mean, he was really, really good in 2003. He, he had 215 hits, 49 doubles, 33 homers. He had a 909, he had a 132 OPS plus. He had, he led the league in total base. He had almost at 400 total bases. He was fantastic. He was, I mean, he was just he was a insane. fantastic player. I mean, I, I, you know, that I remember looking up the, for him and, and should he have won the MVP that year? And it was like, it was, 
it was close. There were other guys that, that, uh, that, you know, certainly you could make the argument had a better year, but, uh, he was terrific in 2006 too. He had like three years and they were all spread apart like 2003, 2006, or maybe, maybe 2010. Oh, 2010. Yeah. yeah where he, he was 44, like, uh, yeah. 31 homers and 44 doubles. And yeah, you're like, like what? And then, and then he would be, and then he had some terrible seasons in the middle there. So I, I really respect that. That's why I wrote, you know, that this was a guy that just, the league kept adjusting to him. He kept adjusting back. I mean, was, was it a, injuries? He was out of baseball 34. What happened? Well, he just, he just aged out. I mean, he really was one of those guys. I mean, there's, it's a whole list. At some point I want to actually do a story on it. There's a whole list of guys him and Dale Murphy and and there's you know a bunch of other guys who at 32 they're just done that's it they're just done at 32 they 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 can't play anymore it's and, a bummer uh, it's a bummer because you know this this was a this was a terrific player all right uh let's see here who else do I have with zero it's hard for me to read some of these so you know I if, if I could be seeing a zero it might be a one I've got zero for Derek Lowe uh, which oh is, Derek Lowe. You love Derek, Derek Lowe. Lowe. I mean, oh. Derek Lowe threw threw one of the big, a few of the biggest pitches in the history of the franchise. Yes, you know he threw the the uh, the front door changeup to catch uh, who I can't remember who it was now looking in the in the 2004 playoffs. He like he he threw it. He threw Game Seven of the ALCS on two days rest. I mean, he or one day rest. I think even like they he was part of that team. He was infuriating because he had every pitch he threw had crazy movement on it. And move. there were times when he would just absolutely look unhittable. In fact, I believe he threw a no hitter at one point. Yes. And then other times he would just come out and didn't really seem like he cared or wanted to be there. <laughs> would just get lit up. <laughs> but he was he was a huge, an enormous part, a, a true hero of that um, of that 2004 Red Sox team. I'll love him forever. Yeah. No. Look, he was a he was terrific. Uh, he really was a terrific player. And I I put some sort of list. I think he's one of only like four guys who has like a. I don't know, 75 wins and 75 saves or something. 75 wins a starter, 75 saves. And, and uh, so, you know, it was kind of a, an odd career because he was a good starter and then he was a good reliever, but. He finished well, he, third in the Cy Young voting one year. I mean, he, he was, somebody he could have given him a vote. Somebody yeah, he won 21 games. He had 176 wins. I think he deserves one vote. One vote. Well, maybe he did. Like I said, it's hard for me to read these. All right. Uh, looks like Placido Polanco got one vote. Hey, the good work, vote. buddy. <laughs> Placido Polanco, good work. Fine he, player. A fine he was a player. fine player. He he uh, he racked up a lot of hits. He had 200 hits one year. I think if you get 200 hits in one year and you have more than 2,000 for your career, you should get one vote. Well, I'll say this because I've also got it. Looks like Miguel Tejada has one vote. Only Miguel one? Tejada. Yeah, I know. It's shocking. I don't know. It's weird. Maybe I'm misreading it. Maybe it's ten. I don't know. I can't see. It's well, like Tejada a, should have. I think Tejada should have more than one vote. Tejada no. was an MVP, right? He was an MVP, but but he also has the PED thing. So yeah, got, right, got, right, got, right, 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 right. Of course. There. So uh, I got him with only one vote, but again, uh, could be wrong. But did you ever like Miguel Tejada? No, I hated him. Yeah, yeah. I really didn't. I, I I don't know why. I just I had an averse reaction to him when I saw him. I just didn't like him. I love those Ace teams. Like if it weren't for the yeah. Red Sox chasing their um, their first World Series, I would have been rooting hard for those Ace for those Billy Bean Ace teams, but. But I just couldn't. I couldn't abide it. I'll say this about Tejada too. He played in every single game. He had six straight years of playing in 162 games. That's yeah, pretty impressive. Well, I think that's why he wore down so quick. But it's also probably why uh, he might have needed a little help. Um, here was a shocker to me. I was surprised how low this total. Only five votes for Roy Oswald. Roy. Roy deserved more than five he votes. Deserved more than five votes. Come on, that guy was great. That guy was a legit Cy Young 
a Cy Young contender for like the first six or seven years of his career, right? Fantastic player. Yeah, really fantastic pitcher. Now it ended quickly for him and, and he ended right. up sort of in that Brett Saberhagen 165 win area where, you know, you're not going to get Hall of Fame consideration, even though for a stretch of time, you were one of the best pitchers in the game. So I would have given him more than five, but again, you know, it's hard. Yeah, what are you going to do? You Again, you came from the future. This is I over. Came, I, I came from the future and the paper did not hold up as well as I was hoping. But, but you know, I, I, I'm looking at the vote and it sure looks like a five to me. All right. Uh, and it sure looks like a six for Lance Berkman. See, now that seems low to me, too. Lance yeah, Berkman, yeah. career OPS plus 144. What that's really That's really high. That's dominant high. Yeah. Dominant, dominant high. But that's what I see. I only see six votes for Lance Berkman. That's crazy. I mean, he was a better player than Harold Baines. Don't you think? Better hitter? He was a better hitter than Harold Baines. Sure he was. Sure he was. Yeah. Look, but but we're not. I mean, if we do that, forget, forget it. We've... Yeah, well, I'm, guess what? I'm doing that. So get, <laughs> prepare yourself. <laughs> All right. Here we go. This is where it gets really. Um, I, I, I seem to be seeing this right. I've got eight votes for Michael Young. Really? Eight votes. That's weird. I, I, I'm, you know, I. Eight. Sure I what does right that name. mean? What does that mean? Why eight? Why so high? I don't know. Look, the people love Michael Young. It's just people love Michael Young, including uh podcast, uh, friend of the podcast, Brandon McCarthy, loves himself some Michael Young. He, That's true, he does. He he believes that guys like that 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 make a clubhouse better are invaluable, which is true. I mean, I don't I don't doubt that. I'll say this. Didn't he hit the pinch hit? home run off of Eric Gagne in that in that all-star game wasn't that Michael Young <laughs> I, I love that you started that off with I'll say this like like that like, <laughs> like, like, I think like, he did he also had like let me count this up real quick one two three four five six seasons of 200 hits yeah that's a, was, that's a, you, you know that's like he was a hitting machine he was a hitting machine he really was a hitting machine and you know played played short you know would was was he, he won a gold glove I mean probably shouldn't have not not probably shouldn't seven have, time all-star gold glove he finished in the top 10 in the mvp twice you know that's pretty good that's pretty good i guess you get eight votes what did you get eight votes you said hey i'll give I him got, eight votes. it looks like eight votes looks all like right. eight votes so all of those guys fell off the ballot those are your fall off the ballot guys all right uh, any of those guys would you say any of them if you could take one of those guys and put them on the ballot for next year who would it be one pierre one pierre <laughs> He knew how to win. He knew how he was a great leadoff hitter. knew how to knew how to get on base. He knew how to get on base. He was terrible at terrible at getting on base. But stole a base. Would always steal a base. Got caught more than anybody you know in in the game. But but stole a base. He stole That's a base right. for you. Yeah. All right. Well, here are guys that, according to these ballot uh, thing, are all going to stay on the ballot. Okay. So it looks like Andrew Jones is going to stay on the ballot, but just barely with only thirty votes. Uh, why doesn't he get more votes? I don't understand this. Well, I, this is a real question. I do not understand yeah. why he doesn't get more votes. Well, I think the the reason is, I mean, look, one thing is it's it's tough. Is he one of the ten best players on the ballot? It's it's pretty questionable, you know. So it's always tough to 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 do it that way. But the other thing about it is, for Andrew Jones to uh, be considered a Hall of Famer, you've got to put his defense as. Willie Mays defense. You have to you have to say he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, center fielder defensively. And everybody thinks he was a great center fielder. But if he was the greatest center fielder defensively of all time, that plus four hundred home runs gets you in the Hall of Fame, right? I think I think most many people would agree with that. If he was one of the best center fielders, like one of the top five, and he's there with Mays and 
Devon White and Paul Blair and 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 Gary Maddox and these other guys, if he's one of those guys, uh, then it's the case. You know, he didn't walk. He didn't really get on base. He hit for a pretty low average. It was it's really defense and home runs that that is going to make his case. So baseball reference and fan graphs say his defense was untouched. And that's why he's a clear Hall of Famer. Uh, if you follow those others who say, well, you know, he was a really, really great outfielder, but he was, you know, he was one of many really, really great center fielders. Uh, the case is a little bit tougher, I think. Where do, yeah. where do you have, you have him I don't know. I, I, I feel like he's uh, one of the, I don't know. He's one of the 10 best center fielders defensively of all time. And he hit sure. 434 home runs. And I feel like that guy gets to the hall of fame or gets close and he's no, not I close. Know. That's the thing. I'm not even saying you should get in. I'm just saying it's weird that he's not closer. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, he's, he's in danger of falling off the ballot, I think. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, based on this, this sheet I got from the future, it looks like he made it another year on the ballot, which all right. is good. Maybe, maybe the longer he stays on the ballot, the more people look at him. Uh, another person who looks like is staying on the ballot is Andy Pettit with 38 votes. All right. Fine. <laughs> how do you Stay feel about ballot. that? No, no. Whatever. How do you feel about I, that? Look, he tortured me uh, like all Yankees did. And, I, you know, <clears throat> I don't think he gets in ever, but he can stay on the ballot in my book. The other thing is he it's weird, right? He did. He took HGH and admitted it. And everyone's like, good for you, buddy. And it's like, well, he still <laughs> took it. You know what I mean? I, I if you're going to be, I'm not a moral scold about this stuff, no. but if you're going to be a moral scold about Miguel Tejada, you should also be a moral scold about Andy Pettit because they both committed the same crime. Well, that's you know? right. And by the way, I mean, look, and, and I don't, you know, Andy Pettit, everybody seems to like him that, that knows him. He seems like a perfectly, you know, decent guy. I'm certainly not uh, saying that he's, he's, he's done anything wrong, but I don't, I don't know why we believe him that that's all he did. No, like everybody, I don't like that's the other thing. Like, I mean, we don't believe anybody else. I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody believes anybody, right? Clemens has been saying for, for, you know, 20 years, he didn't do anything. And everybody's like, ah, he's obviously lying. But Pettit says, Oh, I only did it once. And it was this. And I, I basically admitted it once people caught me and everybody's like, Oh, well, that's it. He only did it once. Like, how? Yeah. I don't understand that. I don't understand. Also, it was like, I only did it once. And then it was like, well, actually I did it a bunch of times. Yeah, well, <laughs> actually I did it all the time. Like these, these guys, Paul Merrill pointed his finger angrily at a U.S. Senator and said he never did it. And then it turned out he did. Like, I think the guys of this era are generally speaking untrustworthy when well, it comes not. to this stuff. So and like, I don't what, know yeah. why specifically to him that we're like, look, I think if you're going to trust, trust, that's fine. But why him? Why did you're like, well, you know, it's not like he came out and said, boy, man, I'm so sorry I did this once. It was like he was caught. And then he said, oh, I'm so sorry I did it once. That doesn't, yeah. it's not the same. All right. Sammy Sosa also with 38 votes will stay on the ballot, but just barely for Sammy Sosa. Um, you know, the thing about Sosa is his whole case to me is home runs, right? That's his case. I mean, he was he wasn't a bad outfielder. He was actually pretty good when he was young. He, he could run a little bit, but essentially, he's a home run guy. So, six hundred plus home runs, sixty home runs three times. Obviously, that's all. That's Hall of Fame. You put that guy in the Hall of Fame, unless you believe, well, he wouldn't have done any of that stuff without PEDs. So, you know, very very catchy. Uh, thing and tricky thing and uh, he's not going to get in. He's just not. Yeah, it's, he's it's, a, he'll be put in by the Veterans Committee someday. My favorite stat about him is he had 234 stolen bases. People like to say, oh, he was a really good base dealer when he was young or whatever. <laughs> 234 stolen bases. He was caught 107 times. He was basically a two out of three guy 
for base dealer. That's terrible. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good. The other thing I love about him, the thing I love about him is he hit 60 home runs three times uh, and never led the league in home runs. Yeah. He led the league in home runs with, with but not later, the with years other, he hit but 60. But not those yeah. three. Yeah, those three <laughs> years. That that tells you baseball might have been a little bit off uh, kilter. Something was, something was up. Something was up. All right. Gary Sheffield uh, stays on the ballot with 51 votes. Gary Sheffield should be in the Hall of Fame. What a hitter. I mean, what a I, I don't I like what's the point of having a Hall of Fame if you don't have Gary Sheffield and I don't care. Make all the analytic arguments you want against him. That guy should think, be in the Hall of Fame. I, I mean, I, if anyone's inclined to, I don't know. Yeah, he I don't think it's a, I don't think it's that. I think it's again, it's PDs. I think it's again, it's PDs. Yeah, I don't care. I, I mean, <laughs> for God's sake, the, he was so terrifying as a hitter. He was like he was the I most did. terrifying hitter in history. And I, I, we've had this conversation about him before. I'm usually not one to go in on that quote, most feared hitter, end quote, thing that kind of got Jim Rice in, and it kind of got, uh, who was the other guy that it, it got in? I well, it, Dick Allen is the one that's like a bit okay. on the cost because of it, yeah. Right, but Gary Sheffield was that guy from the from the moment he showed up in like the late 80s to the moment he retired. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. He played 100 games for the Mets when he was 40 years old, and he had like 10 home runs. I don't care. No pitcher wanted to pitch to him. He was so terrifying. Oh, that wave of the bat. That oh, wave just of the, the bat. menace of it. The, the sheer menace of it was so thrilling. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Um, Billy Wagner with 68 votes. Uh, I think this is, by, by the way, going to be kind of a – he's going to go up, I think, in the, in the voting. Well, I mean, according to this, he's going up a little bit. Um, but I think it's a bad year for Billy Wagner. Because I think this is the year Mariano goes in. Because Mariano's getting in, yeah. And that's it. And then everybody's going to be like, ah, Mariano's the standard now. And that's it. And it's and Billy Wagner, people are going to be like, what? Like, why? He's not even close to Mariano. Yeah, I you know. could say, oh, yeah, he's the same guy as Trevor Hoffman. So last year it would have made a lot of sense. But once Mariano goes in, it's sort of like that wave of 300-game winners. Once those guys go in, the whole standard changes. And, yeah. and I think a guy like Billy Wagner, who I think pre- Pre Mariano, you can make a very strong argument. He's 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 right there at the mid level of the relievers of the Hall of Fame. Um, Mariano changes the equation, I think, for him. Yeah, it's too bad because he was he's listed on Baseball Reference as five ten. He was he was more like he was like four eight, I think. He played at he four was eight. Tiny. He was four eight and he weighed ninety one pounds <laughs> and he threw one hundred and five miles an hour. What if you put Billy Wagner next to uh, Jose Altuve? Like, what would what would be the what, they? Would... I mean, that's adorable. First of all, it's adorable. <laughs> That's an adorable movie that I would love to write. That the two of them go around uh, the country self fighting crime. It's <laughs> two tiny little guys. Their best friend is like a little mouse who wears a has a monocle and wears a top hat, and who uh, who does research for them on the crimes that they're solving when, on a tiny computer. I mean, this is adorable. Why, how are we not field. already writing this? <laughs> when they're not dominating on the baseball field. They are out That's right. solving. They're crimes. solving crimes, and no one, none of the criminals take them seriously because they're so adorable. <laughs> El Tuve and Wagner. All right, when are we starting this movie? We we just I mean, as soon as I mean, I'm already, I'm literally already writing it. I just opened a final draft document and I've begun. I'm halfway through Act One. <laughs> Scott Rowland with 55. I actually skipped by him. 55 votes, still very low total for Scott Rowland. Here's my Scott yeah. Rowland beef. Uh, you will notice that we've, uh, I'm now telling you Scott Rowland had 55 votes. So you know that since we're going upward, other than me skipping over Scott Rowland, um, that he does not have as many votes as Omar Vizcal. And uh, this is, I, I just, I don't know 
I don't even know what to say about that. I just don't even know what to say about it. Well, Vitkel was like a famous shortstop, right? He wasn't great, but he was famous because he was so good. If he had those, he had like those bare hand plays. They, they yeah, and also like he had he had poetry written about how incredible he was as a defender. True. Roland just happened to be like the best defensive third baseman of his era, and no one cared because he wasn't a shortstop. But (laughs) right. But um, yeah. I mean, he was. um, Who was better defensively at third than Roland? One. Beltre. I mean, it's Roland Beltre are the are the two like you know of their of that era that were just. They're unbelievable. They were. This is the big problem I have with third basemen is they were shortstops. They were defensively, they were shortstops, you know? Right. And they were that good, and they hit way better than shortstops. And, you know, Beltre's going to get in for his ballots. He won't have a problem. But Roland, it's just, it's not moving for him. It's no, not moving too bad. for him. It is too bad. All right, moving up, uh, let's see here. It looks like next on the list is, uh, wow, are we already up to, yep. Yeah, looks like we're already up to Fred McGriff. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I skipped over Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent yeah. with 70 mm-hmm. uh, votes. Uh, so ahead of uh, Scott Rowland as well. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, you actually like Jeff Kent's case way more than I do. I yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, he was a, he, I don't know. Uh, he was a second, he was a second baseman. He won an MVP that he granted should not have won. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, look, he's a second baseman who had 377 home runs. He had a, he had an 855 career OPS. That's a 123 OPS he plus. Good, he was a good hitter. He was a really, really good hitter. He won a he great was, second baseman. By no, any I also would like him because he was told specifically not to ride on an ATV and he rode on ATV and got injured <laughs> and he lied about it, which I think is just super cool. Had the great mustache. We did give him some mustache he points. He gets huge mustache points huge for committing to it his points. whole life. <laughs> he never, he was never walking away from that. So that's really good. All right. Then it looks like we are up to Fred McGriff with 153. Big jump for McGriff, but not not nearly enough to get him into the Hall of Fame. But this is his last year on the ballot, and he will get into the Hall of Fame. Literally the first second that the Veterans Committee can put him in. If right? Harold Baines gets elected <laughs> by the 16-member Veterans Committee, Fred McGriff should be like somehow double elected, right? He should yeah. be like he should be put in twice. He should get to give two speeches, choose two hats, like the whole thing. Yeah. Now well, look, he. It, it, I, I'm of this belief. He's never been a top 10 guy for me, but I've always believed that he's right where the Hall of Fame line is. And and because he's such a wonderful character of the game and all that, he should be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm going to be glad, thrilled when he gets in. I think it's ridiculous that we've been waiting this. Like, why put this guy through this every year? That doesn't make any sense. Just doesn't make any sense. Once when they realize- when, when he gets in, do you think Tom Mansky releases a special edition, limited <laughs> oh, edition yes. Hall of Fame video? He's got it, right? <laughs> and I'm buying it. I don't care. I don't even have a VCR. Oh, it has definitely. to be a VCR. It has to be a DV- it has to be a VCR. Yes, it's only on VHS. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Manny Ramirez with 149 votes, uh, a little bit of a jump for him, but uh, not much. It's not going to happen for me. It's very simple, right? If you if you're a PED, guys don't belong in the Hall of Fame. Person, no. If you're not, yes. And that's right. There's more no's than yeses right now. Yeah, a lot more, and I think there will be. I, I, I unless the fundamentals change and Bonds and Clemens get in, guys like Manny and and uh, Sosa and Sheffield, they they're not. They're not going to even make any movement, much less get in the Hall of Fame. All right. Uh, there's Omar Vizquel with 168 votes. A little bit of a jump. Not a huge jump, but a little bit of a, a jump for Omar Vizquel. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, look, 2,800 hits and an unbelievable defensive shortstop. 
he, he, he doesn't make the Hall of Fame worse. I'm not, I'm, I, and I don't think that anybody should think he does. It's just there are so many guys that I have ahead of him on my list. That's that's my beef. It's like you start putting Omar Vizquel in the Hall of Fame, then what, why isn't Dave Concepcion in the Hall of Fame? Why isn't Burt Campanaris in the Hall of Fame? Why isn't, you know, then you start going Bobby Gritch. Why isn't Bobby Gritch in the Hall of Fame? Why isn't Lou Whitaker in the Hall of Fame? There's like bunches and bunches of guys who were at least as good as Omar Vizquel, uh, but he is the one that a lot of people love. Yeah, he had, um, my favorite stat about him is that he had 80 career home runs. And he played 80 seasons, so he averaged exactly <laughs> one home run per season. It's one of those weird quirks. That works out really well. That works out really well. By the way, he could be a terrific villain in the Altuve and Wagner Ooh. police series, don't you think? Well, he's like the he's like the guy that they they go to see him, and uh, they don't suspect him because he's like you know he's a <laughs> he's famous uh, player. But then it turns out secretly he was the guy committing the crimes the whole. He was the cat burglar. <laughs> he was the cat burglar. Yeah. Had those great hands. Definitely could be could be. A That's perfect, right. Sleight of hand. He had he had exactly two years where his OPS plus was higher than league average. Two yeah, look, in his entire career. Look at his. You know, so I've been doing this race to four hundred uh, uh, ballot where I basically am giving everybody points, and if you get over four hundred points, you're a qualified Hall of Famer for me. And uh, it, it begins with what your uh, runs above average as a hitter was, and that's I combine what uh, Baseball Reference and Fangraphs does. He was minus minus two hundred and twenty runs in his career as a below average. It's two hundred and twenty runs below average as a hitter. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and okay. So uh, we got to figure that one out. All right. Now we are starting to get into the what well, we are getting into. Oh wait, one more. Uh, Todd Helton with one hundred and eighty-two on his first year on the ballot. Not a bad showing. For, That's pretty for Todd good. Helton. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, he'll yeah. get. I think he'll get in right eventually. I hope so. Well, look, if Larry Walker, I think Larry Walker needs to get in to sort of set the stage there. But uh, terrific hitter, Todd Helton, terrific hitter, and very good defensively ways, too. Very good defensively, and a you know, and class guy, same team forever. All those things, um, all those guys like uh, like Helton and and uh, Walker when they were playing, you were like, oh, what a lucky break to play at Coors Field because you can put up these incredible numbers. And now that they're looking at the Hall of Fame, you're like, oh, they wish they played anywhere but Coors Field because nobody t- takes their mon- numbers seriously at all because of because of Coors Field. So, yeah, I know. Weird. I mean, if you look at his, he had, a, he had a real home away split in his in his career, obviously. But well, he was a, also a very good hitter away from home. He was, he, a, was. Well, they, he was a 287, they, 386, 469 hitter away from Coors Field. That's very, well, that's very right. good for a career. Well, and especially because there's two things that 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 people always forget to do when they when they do their home road splits. And I'm one of those people that forgets to do it as well. One, his road numbers would be way higher if he played games at Coors Field. You know right. Right? I mean, like, like, right. like you know, so that would shoot it up quite a bit. I mean, several points. Right. If on, he were playing in the NL West and for Arizona or the Dodgers or something, then he would have he right. would have played nine or ten times a year away in in uh, in that in stadium. The, yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's right. So anyway, all right. Let's get through these uh, last ones here. So Larry Walker, I have him with two hundred and thirty nine, <laughs> which is uh, about seventy shy of what he's going to need for the Hall of Fame, but. It does put him in a much better position to possibly sneak in next year. It's going to be very, very close for Larry Walker. But he's finally the, getting some some real some real push, some real momentum. He's got one more year though, right? This is next year is the last one year, more year, right? Last okay. year is the last year, so that's what I'm saying. So he's about. I think he comes. Looks to me like he comes about seventy short, 
And uh, and then, you know, he has to find those 70 votes next year. But he'll have a chance. He'll have a real We're chance. We're going to get into this dumb thing now when they move from 15 to 10. We're getting this dumb thing where a whole bunch of people are going to start getting in in their last year. Right? That's well, what's that's right. Well, because it'll be laughable if Larry Walker falls 10 votes short of the Hall of Fame and he doesn't get the same five years that everybody in baseball history has gotten. To, right. Because, you know, he would have gotten it then. So, yeah, it's it's yeah, no. Look, I don't even think it should be 10 years. I think it should be five years and then let's turn them over to the Veterans Committee or do something and create a special committee because I, I don't this this idea of putting these guys through this every year seems so silly to me. It just seems silly to me. Yeah. All right. Uh, looks like um, Barry Bonds with 243 votes. Roger Clemens with 244 votes. Not a huge jump for either one. In fact, not really much of a jump at all. Now, this is not I mean, this is just what the what this you know, maybe maybe this paper's wrong. I don't know. But what it looks like to me is like neither one of them are gonna get a big, particularly big jump. Um, you know what? I just don't think they're gonna get elected. I just don't think it's gonna really? happen. Really? You think yeah. they're both uh they're both gonna be held out on on a PED protest? I think they're both gonna be held out. Now we'll see the tenth year. Do people suddenly you know, but they don't have that much time left. They only have, what, three years left each? Is that right, yeah. I think? Yeah, this so, is seven for both of them, yeah. For both of them. So, you know, I mean, they're not really moving. They're not really moving. Um, looks like Kurt Schilling with 255 votes, a pretty big jump for Kurt Schilling. Um, but I think those last 70 or so votes he needs are going to be a doozy. That's, those are going yeah, to be yeah. tough, right. tough to get. There's so. a there's a line of demarcation that has probably pretty little to do with his playing career. Yeah, almost, in fact, nothing to do with it. However, what, what do you think? Do you think Trump's tweet in his benefit helps him or hurts him? I mean, it helps him with the people that like Trump and hurts him with the people who don't. So I think it probably is a net zero. Net, uh, I don't know. I think it's it's not a net zero because the people who like Trump are already voting for him. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, people, anyone who's on the fence is go, probably going the other way. Then, he's yeah. probably going the other way. All right. So now we are left with the four guys who are, are really, really close. So I'm going to tell you who definitely got in. Uh, Mariano Rivera fell one vote shy of unanimous. Right. That guy better never, ever reveal his name because he will be haunted forever, even though it's pointless. It's stupid. Um, but when this guy falls one vote shy of the Hall of Fame, people are not going to be happy. Who Who is going to be the first unanimous guy? That's never, never going to happen. Really? I don't think once Mariano fall, I mean, look, it, could it be Jeter? Probably not. I think there'll be somebody who will say, well, defensively, whatever. They'll actually make an actual baseball argument against him. I really thought I was surprised that people were so afraid to vote against Mariano. You could just say, honestly, hey, I don't think relievers belong in the Hall of Fame. And and I, I wouldn't agree with that sentiment, but you could make that argument. Instead, it, it looks like the person, I mean, I don't know, somebody probably sent in a blank ballot or something. That's my guess. I, That's I think my, if, uh, um, if Mariano had never thrown a pitch in the regular season and had only thrown pitches that he threw in the postseason, he should still get into the Hall of Fame on well, a unanimous right. vote. <laughs> that, look, that's the big deal. That's the, to me, his postseason is, it's, it's the best. It's the single best postseason record you could possibly have. And that's even with giving up the the game winning hits. I mean, you know, like yeah. he's had he's had a couple of, of falls, and even with those, he's unbeatable. It's it's amazing. All right, he so averaged he averaged um he averaged seven strikeouts per nine innings, one point three walks, and zero point one home <laughs> runs per nine innings. 
he gave, <laughs> he gave up a home run every 90 innings in the postseason. It's 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 unfathomable. It's unfathomable. That's right. just in case you're wondering, it's two home runs. He gave up two home runs in 141 <laughs> innings. Yeah, that that you just put that season, just his his like postseason yeah. record into one season. And it's the greatest season. It's the greatest players. season of all time. And it's yeah. against the very, very best hitters in baseball in the highest pressure moments. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. <clears throat> uh, he's in uh, is Roy Halladay is in. I got him with 368 votes, which I think is like right around 88 um, percent. Good. I'm Roy Halladay. Yeah. So of course he belongs. He's one, yeah. one of the great pitchers. There's literally nothing to say here except that is the correct decision. Good that job, is the correct everybody. decision. Great. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Good work. In fact, I was worried. I was worried because his win total is a little low. I was worried that that you know there'd be some to be like ah he'll get in but not he's not a first ballot guy for me or some nonsense like that. He was uh, just so good. He was so dumb. He threw he so many so innings dominant. and he threw them so well. Like I you know. He was amazing. He was amazing. Yeah. And he was amazing uh, as a younger pitcher. And he was amazing as an older pitcher. And uh, and then he was done. Like, it just like, and then it just yeah. ended for him. Fell off a cliff and, and went away. Yeah. Yeah, went away. The uh, third guy who is definitely in is uh, Edgar Martinez with 346 mm-hmm. votes. Um, and uh, he's in. And it's about time. And it's 10th time on the ballot. Finally. 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 Yeah. The, the the arguably the best right-handed hitter of his generation. Should have oh. been in a long time ago. Should have been a long time ago. It's so great. It's so great that he's finally in. And then it's very, very difficult for me to read this. I'm looking at it. I, I can't tell if it's a 309 or a 308. And it looks Ooh. like 309 gets him in. 308 gives him one vote short for Mike Mussina. So so I, it looks like Mike Mussina is right. I can't see it very clearly, but uh, it looks like he might be in. And also he might not be in. <laughs> it's hard it's, to tell. Look, it's from the future. I mean, you, no, you realize I, what this it, paper had to go through to get here. It does happen. When you come back through the time machine from the future, <laughs> all um, information you're taking does get slightly distorted. And it's it just does. bad luck that in this case, it's it's that crucial one vote. that I would, know. It's so yeah. weird. It's just so weird to look at it. He'll get in. Whether if he gets in this, in this year. year it's, it's next year. Yeah, It's right? next year. But yeah. again... Why? Why? Why wait? Why? Like that's it's so, so dumb. It's I mean, so he—he's the one of the last victims of a kind of arbitrary twenty-win thing, like where everyone yeah, for a long time was like, he didn't have twenty wins, and then that somehow, even though he got it in his last year, it still stuck to him or something. I don't know. It's weird. It's like he, you know, look. The the only argument against him is is. A, the super arbitrary thing of like he never won a Cy Young, or right? Whatever. Right, that's but, what you start doing. There was yeah, but it's like okay, like well, he finished here are some Cy Young awards. He finished fourth, and then fourth, and then fifth, and then fifth, <laughs> and then sixth, and then second, and then sixth, and then fifth. So he and then sixth. Then his last year, thirty nine, he finished sixth. So that whatever, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight top six finishes. Yes. That's a yes. not winning it. That's just a that's a rounding error. It's just exactly he's one right. of the he's, six best pitchers in the league nine times or whatever like just right. for god's sake and he absolutely could have won it once or twice in that stretch he absolutely yeah. could have won it i mean yeah. again it's you know the, the, the other the other element about that whole thing with the mvp and cy young voting is if you make a mistake and don't vote for the right guy like scott Rowland could have won the mvp i mean right. you know he happened to be right there in the middle of that barry bonds crazy thing but he could have won the mvp he put up mvp type seasons if he has an mvp people look at him differently well that's ridiculous that's not right to, to double count the MVP like that. 
All right. Well, so are we happy? Are we happy that three guys for sure are going in? And then I, I, get, I can't. I'm look. I'm trying. I can't make out this. Look, this. it's not your fault. You did your best coming back from the future. Come it's, back I don't, from the no future. One holds I mean, come on. So excellent. All right. All right. So uh, before we go to one last meaningless thing, did we ever hear back from uh, from uh, Commissioner on our uh, on our um, idea of how to fix the game? Yes, he said, uh, "Leave me alone." I, I, I'll tell you again. I don't know who you are. Why you keep contacting me? If you continue to bother me and contact me at this number, I will have no choice but to alert the authorities. Oh, wow! So not so the response like... you're hoping for from our commissioner. I don't no, know why he's treating us this way. I know, but it sounds to me like he's on the fence. Would you say that? Would you say he's? Yeah. On the well, fence? you know what I'll do is I'll wait a week and then I'll get in touch with him again and see. <laughs> see if he has changed his mind i think that's that's to me that's what that message is saying what he's saying to you so. just reach back out a little yeah. bit later on it's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing we talk about sports and we draft things we know like how beaches are terrible places to go no hot fruit for michael nor diet coke for joe all right, we'll have one last meaningless thing and this meaningless, meaningless thing. I will start uh, and I will go to football. Something I, I, I tweeted about, but it's something I, I do want to mention. Um, did you not find it insane the way Tony Romo predicted every single play the entire second half of the game? It was he was on absolutely on fire and it was delightful. <laughs> it was superhuman. It was delightful. I it feel was... like if if I were a if I were a uh, head coach watching that game, I would hire him to be my defensive coordinator. Oh my gosh, that's right. Because he right? would like immediately look on the field and go, Oh, they're throwing a him. Oh, they're go. running. They're, it's a kill. He's running right. I mean, that was the craziest one when he was like, he's like, Oh, Brady did that thing where he brought his hands up to his helmet and he went, Oh, this is a kill. That usually means motion and then run off to the right. <laughs> and at that moment, he said that Gronk went in motion and then Sony Michelle ran, ran to the right and ran in for a 10-yard touchdown. And it was like, dude, well, what, what are we doing? You know everything that's going to happen. Why are you not on the field on, or at least on the sidelines telling re- realigning your defense? Well, but I love it though. I love it for us. I mean, we, you know, we, we, I don't know if you have ever done this. If you ever complained about announcers before, I don't know if you, have you ever done that? I don't weird, think right? so. No, probably not. Know. No. Um, this guy is such a joy. He's out of control happy. He's like, like, like laughably happy, right? When he calls games, he gets so excited. He's so smart about football and he like predicts what's going to happen before it happens. It's, we need this guy in baseball, don't you think? We need. Oh, a hundred percent. We need him in every sport. We but, need him in every sport, but, but we need him in baseball more. We need him anything. in baseball, but also he's going to be John Madden, right? In in thirty five years, there's going to be Tony Romo football for the PlayStation <laughs> seventy or whatever. Right. Like, and and he's going to be he's going to become the guy who's like everyone's favorite. He's going to be so avuncular and yes, and and, yeah. and happy and cool, and he, long after he has stopped being able. To accurately predict what defenses are going to do, people will still be giving him credit for it, and they'll still be loving him because he's. So, it's it's like it's exactly what football needs. Football takes itself so seriously, and it's so stodgy and conservative and kind of holier than thou, and all the flag waving and the flyovers yes. and the military BS and all that stuff. 
and it, it positions itself as this morally upright, authoritative American sport that you can't criticize it. You can't say it's bad. And there's literally college coaches who tell you that it's good for America and that it's, right. better. it's the same as the military. I mean, it's it's bizarre how that how its proponents have tried to position it as like this, the very backbone, the moral fiber backbone of American society. And the only thing that can save us as fans is someone like Tony Romo, who's just like, Hey, look at this. Look at that. This is cool. Look, look what's happening. Like that's the, that is the level of seriousness that all sports should be. That's right. With. And that, and especially football because football is Roger Goodell, stodgy buttoned up, like square jawed. Like we, this is important. This means something to America yeah. BS. And Romo is the antidote for that. And I love him. I love it. I love that. And I love that, you know, and love that how he just doesn't just know the game. He loves it. Uh, he loves the players. He like totally respects the players. Um, man, I just, I, I just, it, honestly, it's like the antithesis of what we get from, from baseball announcers, uh, yeah. at, at least on the national level, not on the local level. It's different, but the national level, it's like, ah, it's shifting. I hate it. And this and all that. that ball, that, that ball has been a single for 50 years. Now it's uh, out. And, uh, what? there was no. the ver- a very controversial announcing team in baseball. Local announcing team was Don Orsillo and Jerry Remy for the Red Sox. Orsillo has moved on to the Padres, but Orsillo and Remy were just goofballs and they would just they would have like long stretches of time where they were just giggling uncontrollably yes, about something. Awesome. And it was wonderful. And anyone who didn't like it was a was a loser because <laughs> it was like there it's like game number 73. They're in Kansas City on June, you know, 27th and something dumb happens in the stands and they just giggle for two innings <laughs> and it's like that's right. Yes, that is correct. That's the right attitude for this. It's like the more serious and stodgy the game is is treated, the the less it's appealing to its fans, in my That's opinion. That's right. Well, and by the way, I mean, as podcast uh, hosts, I mean, we are totally opposed to anybody just giggling and talking about nonsense. That's right. It's unprofessional, and it shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> it shouldn't be allowed. All right, what's your one last meaningless thing? So I'm sick, and uh, <clears throat> and it stinks. And um, I went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, look, this is a virus. So you just got to wait it out. Um, one thing that you can do, though, is uh, – is you know boil water and let the Whoa. steam like put a put a towel over your head and <laughs> that's, let a, the, that's not a real thing that's like no, a movie is. thing and well you know it, you know this is like this get steam get like deeply inhale steam like there's different ways to do it but you know you boil water and you like inhale steam and you with it and you put a like a, a damp towel over your head to sort of trap the steam or whatever right and wow. uh, i didn't do it for for one simple reason uh and it's not that i would look stupid because who cares i didn't do it because i'm fundamentally uh, on principle opposed to any like medieval cure. You know what I mean? Like if it's a cure, if it's a medical recommendation of something that could have been recommended by a barber in the seventh century, who is trying to like put leeches on your body and like cure you of whatever ailed you that, that, you know, that they didn't have any understanding of, I'm not going to do it. And I don't right. care if it would help me. If it, I don't care that there's any truth into it. I don't care that the steam would open up the alveoli in my, in my esophagus and my lungs or <laughs> that there's medical science to back it up. I'm if it's a medieval recommendation, I'm not doing it. And I don't care if it prolongs my illness. So you're basically saying that this was like the doctor saying you need to bleed out. Yeah. It was, like, it was the doctor was basically saying, Oh, you have ill humors in your body. <laughs> I'm going to slice open your femur and drain you of your, of your evil uh, uh, humors. H U M O U R S. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Like, forget that. I don't, I'm not going to do that. Whatever this is, I'm not going to do it. Funny thing is, as soon as you talked about having that wet towel over your head and being over the uh, thing, isn't that like a movie cure for like a hangover? Like I like I keep visualizing some guy who like waking up that morning and he's like, and he's got the towel over his head and he's like over looking over steam and sure and yeah. So basically, no, I don't think you need a hangover cure for what. I don't. Doing. I mean, whatever that is, I'm not doing it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not. I'd rather I'd rather be sick for like twelve more hours. Are than you sure this is a real doctor? Come on, be honest. Well, no, he seemed legit. He was in this like windowless van that was driving around my neighborhood, and I he motioned me over, and I stepped into his van, and he gave me a lot of great ideas for how to well, care. That's my, what I'm saying. It doesn't yeah. seem like a problem at all. He didn't take insurance though. He only took uh, coupons. <laughs> he took uh, dog food coupons. Was how I paid him. Very fair. Very fair. Well, Michael, as always, this has been great, uh, and uh, we'll 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 stay in touch. We'll we'll just see if you can slip in for little ten minute hits every I'll now and pop again. Pop in every once in a while, and good luck with the podcast with whoever you sucker into <laughs> co-hosting with you. <laughs> what a bunch of losers! I mean, come on, right in advance. Hey, I don't you. know what's coming, but uh, as always, it's been a joy, and thank you for having me.